It's Wednesday, June 17th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, the one and only Maria Gallagher. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. We have got the business of sports. We are going to dip into the full mailbag, but we are going to start with some earnings. And honestly, this is one of those situations where you put earnings in air quotes um, because we're talking about Groupon. And the first quarter results, they actually weren't as bad as Wall Street was fearing. Groupon still lost a lot of money and shares are down about 10% today. Yeah, it was not a great quarter for Groupon. The shares fell, the sales fell 35%, gross profit was down 34%. They laid off or furloughed about 2700 employees out of their 6300 employees and they also have a new CEO and a COO left. So, it's been a wild couple of months for Groupon and it hasn't been great. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the management change because that was something I sort of noticed this morning when I was reading about this quarterly report. And one of the statements was from interim CEO Aaron Cooper. Aaron Cooper's been at Groupon for a decade or so, but I was like, well, wait a minute, what's the interim? And yeah, as you mentioned a couple of months ago, the board basically said to the CEO, uh, the chief operating officer and the CEO, uh, yeah, you, you're both out of here. Um, so it. it I'm not even sure where the silver lining is right now with Groupon, because on top of everything else, um, last week they executed the dreaded reverse stock split. And in this case, it was a one for 20 uh, stock split. So, for those unfamiliar, uh, a regular stock split, you know, sometimes companies will come out and say, hey, it's a two for one split. Uh, if you own a sh- for every one share you own, you're now going to have two. But of course, the price is cut in half. The reverse split is the opposite because they're trying to boost their stock price. And so they came out and said, for every 20 shares you own, you're going to get one. So, I mean, the, the management shakeup, the fact that Aaron Cooper has been there a decade and still has the interim tag on his CEO title, I, I don't know him, but I think I'd be a little miffed if that were the case. You have to wonder what the board is up to there. And then, you know, you and I were talking about this earlier today, Maria. I mean, this is, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I think of Groupon, I know they have several business lines, but I think of them as more of like the experience company. For a long time, that's been their marketing. Like, hey, go out and take a hot air balloon ride, and we're going to get you a discount on that, and that sort of thing. And it's, I know, again, it's not all of their business, but they are really taking a hit in this environment. Yeah, I think that um, the experiences is really where they get their bread and butter. That's what they're known for. Um, they are trying to look, they break out their revenues in terms of their local and their travel revenue. Travel revenue is less than 10%. Local revenue is almost 91% of that revenue. But a good chunk of that local revenue is experiences within that local space. And so I don't think that that will bounce back anytime soon. I guess the only silver lining would be that um, as states start reopening, people and companies will be so desperate for anyone to come. They'll have really good deals and they'll try and use utilize Groupon and people will try to utilize it if they don't have uh, that steady income that they're used to. But it's still not a great outlook for Groupon. Yeah, it's a good point. And I think that one of the things they talk about is their active customer base. It'll be interesting to see if they're able to grow that in the next three to six months. I'm wondering if you think, I mean, they have between North America, where they have about 25 million active customers, and then international 
outside of North America, another 16 million, million. So they got about, you know, 40, 42 million active customers. This is not a big company. The market cap is about $750 million. Do you think, do you think someone's going to swoop in and buy Groupon just so they can get that active customer base? Or do you think that there are still enough question marks that that's not in the cards right now? I think it would be kind of a smart acquisition for some pl- some people to get you that bigger customer base and for people to continue to implement deals. Everyone, everyone, I love a good deal. I know a lot of people who love a good deal. So having those options are pretty smart if you're a big retailer or you want exposure into uh, a growing customer base of people who are generally live in cities, like deals, like experiences. I feel like it's pretty uh, smart to grow that customer base if you need to. Let's move on to the world of sports because DraftKings making headlines once again. They announced a secondary stock offering of 33 million shares. Um, and if you're thinking to yourself, "Hey, didn't they just become a public company?" Yes, less than eight weeks ago, uh, DraftKings entered the public market, but the stock has doubled in just a short amount of time. So I'm wondering, first and foremost, Maria, do you think this is a smart move by DraftKings? I actually think it is. Their initial offering, like you said, was about $17 a share in April, and the secondary offering is now based on over $40 share price. So I think it's smart to capitalize on the excitement of shareholders at a time where balance sheet stability is something that all investors are looking for, all investors are craving. So if you can capitalize on that and make your balance sheet a little more stable, I think it's smart to do so. And then the uh, secondary offering is kind of in two parts, the part that the company's offering and then the insider is selling. And so if you're an insider who's gained a lot of money in the past eight weeks and you want to cash out on some of those winnings, I don't think that's a bad idea. What kind of moat do you think DraftKings has for their business? Because I've heard analysts talk about the casino companies and how the moment they decide to sort of essentially build their own version of this, it's going to be lights out for DraftKings. Do you think they have a moat? I actually think they do. I think that the first is that they're mobile first platform. So their daily fantasy sports platform, people talk about them with sports betting a lot, but I think that having that ingrained into people's daily routine and a way to talk to your friends and that they have some of those network effects of being able to talk with their friends throughout the platform. I think that's really smart and that'll be hard for casinos to get that really good mobile advert that, that mobile platform as well as those network effects. And they also have this thing called SB tech, which is a company that they acquired right before they went public. And so they actually also own that underlying technological platform. And so I think that's another revenue driver for them that people aren't speaking about that much, but I think is a really strong competitive advantage for them, actually. So, you're not really a big sports fan, but based on what we were talking about earlier today, it sounds like you're actually, even though you're not a big sports fan, you're interested in DraftKings just as entertainment. Yeah, I think sports betting is kind of fun. I think it's easy to get into when you don't really care about the outcome of the game. It makes you feel a little more connected if you think your friends are really connected and you feel a little out of the loop because you don't care. For me, I think it's kind of fun if the bets are small, if you're betting a dollar, five dollars, just a way to make the game a little more exciting if you generally dread sports games like I might. Well, particularly with the, you know, the rise of prop bets which you know sometimes are about things that happen on the field but you know most famously the Super Bowl you know one of the things you can bet on is how long is the national anthem going to be 
which to me seems like if you're ever going to fix, I'm, I'm actually listening to, um, there's a podcast called American Scandal. And um, one of my college roommates sent me uh, the latest uh, episodes because we went to Boston College and it is about a, a point shaving scandal that uh, a few members of the Boston College basketball team were involved in in the late 1970s. And just listening to how hard it is to sort of pull off uh, uh, that type of fixing. Uh, I, uh, one of my thoughts was, boy, if only they had, were trying to do this in the advent of trying to fix the national anthem, because that seems like the easiest thing to fix. You just get whoever's singing it and just be like, look, I need you to stretch this out a few extra seconds. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Question from Marcus Lum. Going outside of the realm of, spa, of, of stocks, and um, Marcus asks, I'm intrigued with how each of the analysts at The Motley Fool started their career and ended up there. Uh, of course, I could do the boring way of LinkedIn stalking, but I'm sure uh, each of them has a motivating, inspiring story to tell. I like that Marcus was just upfront, like, I thought about stalking all the analysts on LinkedIn, but nah, I'm not going to do that. Uh, some things I'd be interested in knowing in becoming a research analyst. How important is it to have a formal education um, in finance? And how important is it to have a CFA designation? Um, we've got people at The Motley Fool who are, you know, who are part of the investing team with you, Maria, who I think have you know, a BA in economics or, or finance, that sort of thing. I don't think you're one of them, though. No, I have a BS in psychology with a concentration in applied behavioral analysis therapy. So I didn't study finance undergrad. I went to a school also in Boston called Northeastern where they do a co-op program, which is basically six month long internships. And so I did two different ones. The first one I didn't love. And the second one, I kind of uh, ended up working at an investing firm up in Boston and I fell in love with investing. I found it really interesting. I found it this really cool way to be like an active participant in the world you live in instead of just being a conscious consumer, being a conscious investor was really exciting for me. Um, but it was right before I graduated college. So I couldn't change my major. I couldn't add a minor. Uh, and I ended up just trying to do as much as I could to teach myself. We're lucky that we live in the world of the internet. There are so many classes online. Uh, so I think the question about a formal education, I don't necessarily think you have to. It's obviously great to get a foot in the door to have those that education. But if you can prove that you understand it and you're willing to learn, um, I think that the doors will be open for you. You just kind of have to be a little um, intrinsically motivated in terms of taking some online classes. I've taken some Coursera classes. And honestly, every question in the world, I think there is one person on YouTube who has thought of it and has made a 10-minute video to answer that question because I have found that time and again. I will just add parenthetically that um, Tom and David Gardner uh, the uh, brothers who uh, started The Motley Fool, along with their friend Eric Rideholm, um, neither of them uh, studying finance in college. They learned about it from their dad, as, as they've talked about. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's an important point you made at the end there, uh, because there, I think there is probably an extra motivation you need if you're not going the traditional, I'm studying economics, I'm studying finance route, um, because that does probably get you in the door. It doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be successful. I think if you're like applying um, for a research analyst job and you're, you know, you've graduated with a history degree or you know, an English degree, something like that, 
that's um, you know there there are some places where they'll just say no we're not we don't have time to consider people like that but you know if you get yourself in a position where you're able to interview I think you're able to um, that's your opportunity to sort of express um, why you'd be good as a research analyst um, one thing uh, you know and, and I didn't uh, study finance in college either but I've had the chance to speak um, at different colleges to different finance classes. And one of the things I always talk about is uh, don't forget communication as a skill because you can master a balance sheet inside and out. You can crunch all the numbers you want. But at the end of the day, if you're a research analyst, you also have to be good at communication. And it's not just going on a podcast or CNBC or something like that. Like You have to use communication to convince people of your investing ideas. Yeah, I think communication and writing is a really underutilized skill. I think I kind of like that I studied psychology because the markets, people move the market. So understanding people, I think, is a really kind of unique way to understand and think about the markets. So I think trying to use your your skills to your advantage is really smart. And then the financial skills, really, you can learn it. You just have to be dedicated to you will have to study. You're not just going to magically learn it, but you'll study at night and you can figure it out if you really want to. Maria Gallagher, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hell. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.